when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and wondered, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking them, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past Thursday, I was doing a funeral for a member of our family of faith, Mary Hamilton. Mary was 93 years old. She was a wonderful lady and a good friend. She had lived a a good life and had been blessed. She had aches and pains, as any of us do as we're growing older. But by and large, she was still able to go and to drive. Her mind was still very sharp, and she was fully engaged in life. It was be one week ago that she wound up having a massive stroke. And a few days later, she passed away. We had her service on Thursday. I sat down with the family to plan the service, and, you know, we talked about Mary. It turned out her favorite scripture was from the book of Ecclesiastes. For everything under the sun, there is a season, a time to be born, and a time to die. Mary understood the seasons of life, a time to be born, and a time to die. She fully understood the age in which she was in now. The family gave me her advance directive, something we all should be doing, making sure we have filled out our directive ahead of time. What do we want done for us medically if we are now incapacitated? She had filled that out, and, and when it came to the part of 
of what do you want to do with your organs? It came to that part and then she had written something out in the margin in her own handwriting. And it said, do you want to donate your organs when you die? And she wrote in, today is March 17th, 2017. I am 92. Who would want them? (laughs) She understood the seasons of life. It was though when she was 92, she went out to go buy a new car. She went out and bought herself a car because she had discovered there was a model that really could be helpful. The doors on this car open 90 degrees to the body of the car, which creates far greater access. It was easier for her to be able to get her walker into the back seat and easier to be able to get in and out. It had a backup camera on it so she could see when she's backing up. It had those sensors on the, the side lights so that if you start to pull into the other lane, it starts warning you if someone is there beside you. These were all options that she felt would help her to be a safer and a better driver um, at 92 years old. So she went out with her son-in-law and she bought the car. And when they were finally inking the deal, the salesman said, Now with this new car, you know that you can buy an extended warranty. Mary simply said, sir, I'm 92. Do you really think I'm going to need an extended warranty? Now, she understood the seasons of life and where she was. But what I loved about Mary was she was buying the car because she lived at Epworth Villa and she wanted to be sure and be able to come downtown on Monday mornings to senior Bible study. Now, she had been born and raised in the Methodist Church. All her life she had gone to Sunday school. She had gone to MYF, the youth group. She had gone to Sunday schools when she became an adult. She was a part of our wedding ring Sunday school class. She came to Wednesday night alive classes. She had been in Bible studies all her life. And yet somehow at 93 she was still reading and learning. And she would come to class prepared to ask questions. And she loved to teach Bible studies, and so she would take the time to study and read and then call a family member and say, I was reading a scripture and I had this thought. What do you think about this idea? All her life, even when she knew she was getting closer to the end, she was still committed to study, to learn, and to grow. Today is Disciple Graduation Sunday. We're we're very excited about recognizing all of our graduates. But you know, it sure is easy when you graduate to suddenly think, now I'm done. I'm done learning. And really nothing could be further from the truth. What I want to say to all of our graduates today is, you're just getting started. What God calls you to be doing for the rest of your life is to be studying and learning, and growing. So that God can be speaking to you all your days, giving you a new vision and dream of your life. Because you may suddenly get concrete thinking, locked in that your life can only be one way, and maybe God wants to share something totally different with you. Our scripture lesson this morning is about Pentecost. Today is the day of Pentecost. 
Pentecost is 50 days after Easter. Seven weeks ago, we were here celebrating Easter. And now you talk about the time that the disciples gathered back in Jerusalem with all these followers, and it says God poured out His Holy Spirit on the people. And everybody began to speak in foreign languages so that everyone heard in their native tongue the good news. And there was so much energy and so much chaos that people started saying they must be drunk. And it was Peter who said, they're not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. No, God is pouring out His Spirit upon His people. As the prophet Joel said, in the last days, God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. For the sons and the daughters, the young and the old, you will see visions and you will dream dreams. Now, you think about where the disciples had come from to this day. We call this the birthday of the church. It's the beginning of the church. If you think about the disciples, the disciples had grown up Jewish. They were good Jews. And we know that as you're growing up Jewish, there was an emphasis on education. Now, they are listed as common, uneducated men. And they were not formally educated like the Pharisees who were lawyers or like the rabbis. But almost all good Jewish boys growing up in those days were taught to read some of the Torah. They learned how to write a little. They knew the laws of what was expected of them as good Jews. How are you supposed to live? What are the commandments? What are the laws? And so you had these men who now understood their faith and Jesus came along and said, come follow me. And they start to follow Jesus and the first thing he starts to do is to challenge, to question all the things they had learned. They knew the commandment, you don't work on the Sabbath. I mean, that's one of the big ten. You don't work on the Sabbath. And suddenly Jesus is healing a, a woman who's been bent over for 18 years. Suddenly Jesus is healing a man with a withered hand. He's going through the grain uh, wheat fields and, and getting grain to eat. He was always being condemned. You are working on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, do you think that God cares about one of his children, a, a son or a daughter of Abraham, and would not want them to be healed even if it's the Sabbath? That was a different way of looking at things. They knew about being ritually clean or pure. One of the things you couldn't do was touch a leper. And yet a leper came to Jesus and was begging him, heal me. And it says Jesus reached out and touched him. You're not supposed to do that. Good Jewish men did not talk to women in public that they did not know. They did not talk to Samaritans. Those were bitter enemies. When the disciples were traveling through Samaria, they came to a town. The disciples went in to go get something to eat. And when they came back, there was Jesus sitting at the well talking to a Samaritan woman. In one act, he blew two things. They came up and said, what are you doing? To treat all people with respect? To treat all people with dignity and with love? No, Jesus was constantly challenging the very things they were thinking. And so the day of Pentecost comes. 
The day when God pours out His Holy Spirit on all flesh so that you can dream dreams and have visions. On this day of Pentecost, on this disciple graduation, on this graduation celebration, we take the time to remember we're called to be growing and learning all the days of our lives. Whether we are teenagers or 93, we keep our minds open so we might hear God's vision and dream for our lives. It's what I really want us to think about this morning. And, and I believe the scripture shares two important thoughts. First of all, nobody has all the truth. Nobody has all the truth. So know what you believe, study for what you believe. But always know you could be wrong. You know, the reason I like being a Methodist is because of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. John Wesley was so out of touch with his day. I mean, he, he was born in 1703. He died in 1791, 88 years old. 88 years. Lived throughout the 1700s. In the 1500s, the 1600s, and the 1700s, people were burned at the stake or put into prison because of believing things that didn't match with the authorities. But in his day, he would say things like, think and let think. Nobody has all the truth. So if you love Christ and you love your neighbor, give me the right hand of fellowship. Let's be friends. He called that the Catholic spirit. The word Catholic literally means universal. He said, the universal spirit is, you love Christ, you love your neighbor, we're friends. We might disagree on lots of things we're thinking, but nobody has all the truth. You need to think and let think. Are you growing? Are you learning? Are you letting God lead you into new ideas of your life and your world? You know, yesterday, if you flipped on the TV, you couldn't help but see something about Prince Harry and, um, and Meghan Markle. I flipped it on in the morning, and boy, every single channel had all the coverage. And, and it was fun. I had forgotten the wedding was taking place, and I enjoyed getting to watch all the reruns about it, all the um, pomp and circumstance and, and the beautiful and chapels and the castles and to see all the history and the, the royal guards and it was such a spectacle. You know, they said 1.9 billion people were probably tuning in to see this wedding. 1.9 billion. And I thought, as I watched it, it was this close to not happening. 78 years ago, Hitler was conquering Europe. 78 years before, Hitler had built an army in Germany... And he had moved out and conquered Austria and then Poland, the Netherlands, Belgium, and then into France. It now was right on the edge of crossing across the English Channel into England. England in 1939 and 1940 was not prepared. Chamberlain had been the prime minister 
And Chamberlain and so many others wanted to negotiate a peace, some sort of a settlement with Hitler through Mussolini. And yet they could see what was happening over and over again. Hitler never kept his word. But still, everybody thought we could somehow negotiate this. Somehow we could negotiate this. And Chamberlain had not built up the armies. He hadn't built up the Air Force. He hadn't built up the navies. And now Hitler was right there on the doorstep. And so it was they turned to to Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, for years, had been waving a flag of caution. Watch out for Hitler. This fascist, he is going to be something horrible to be reckoned with. No one had listened. And now they turned to him. May the 10th. 1940, they made Winston Churchill prime minister. But immediately his own party began to say, you have to negotiate a peace. You must negotiate with Mussolini. He had always said, we've got to fight Hitler. Now other people were saying, no, we must negotiate. And everyone was pulling on him and they then threatened a no confidence vote. We will throw you back out of office as quick as you got in if you do not negotiate the peace. And... And Churchill began to wonder, maybe that's what we should do. He confided in a few friends. He was thinking, maybe that's what we have to do. It was such a difficult moment. But he started asking people, can you imagine the swastika flying over Buckingham Palace? Can you imagine the swastika flying over Windsor Castle? There'd be no monarchy. There would be no British Navy, no royalty. You would be a vassal, a puppet of the Third Reich. It was King George VI, Harry's great-grandfather, who went to Winston Churchill and said, You know, in the beginning, I did not support you, but I've changed my mind. I think you are the only one who can lead us to stand up to Hitler. I will support you. And Churchill thought, you'll support me? I will support you if you will stand up to Hitler. And Winston Churchill went into Parliament and he gave this speech, this rousing speech calling England and all of Parliament, we must stand up against Hitler We will not give up our island. We will not give up the British Empire under our watch. We must defend our country. We will never, 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 ever give up. He rallied Parliament. He rallied the people. And he would have to continue to do so for years as it would get so difficult. As the Nazis kept bombing, he would come on the the radio every night trying to encourage the people to stand strong. But when he was coming to Parliament to try to get them to agree to defend their island, and he gave this rousing speech that we must fight, and when he got through, one of his confidants said to him, you changed your mind. And Winston Churchill uttered his famous statement, if you can't change your mind, you can't change anything. I think of all the struggles that went on with the disciples. They had worked so hard to follow Jesus. They had had their minds stretched. 
And the day of Pentecost would come. And the day of Pentecost would come and they thought, we got it all figured out. And the first thing that happens, Peter gets confronted and the question is, can you be a Gentile and become a Christian? He'd been taught all his life, Gentiles aren't loved by God. Only Jews are loved by God. If you're a Gentile, well, I didn't care about you. If you see a Gentile woman having a baby and she's in trouble, do not help her. You just bring another Gentile into the world. The first thing that happens, he now has to be confronted. Is it possible that God loves Gentiles and not just Jews? And he goes to Cornelius' house and crosses the threshold and eats with him. And Cornelius becomes this first Gentile convert into the Christian faith. And he thinks he's about got it figured out and he goes and visits Simon the Tanner and he goes up on top of his house in prayer and suddenly a sheet comes down in his vision and there's all kinds of unclean food and the voice says, rise up, kill and eat. And Peter says, I would never do that. I've always kept a kosher kitchen. And the voice said, do not call unclean that which God has made clean. Now, knowing that Peter was sometimes slow to pick up on the truth, God gave him that vision a second time and then a third time. He wanted to make sure he got it. Three times he gave him the vision. But God was asking Peter to think in a different way he'd been taught his entire life. Is it possible that all food is clean? Is it possible God loved the Gentiles for the rest of his life? He would still be learning and growing and sometimes having to change his mind about things he had always believed. Are you open to listening to God speak to you? You may have envisioned your life one way and feel trapped. Can you listen to God speak about a different vision, a different dream? the things that you've believed and held on to? Can God have a different word? God poured out His Holy Spirit so that all flesh could dream dreams and have vision. Secondly, as you dream your dreams, as you listen to God, make sure that you keep love as your guiding principle. Love is your foundation. Jesus came and had to deal with so many issues. Everyone wanted to know about marriage and divorce, or they wanted to know about money, or they wanted to know about um, prayer, or they wanted to know about forgiveness of sin. There's all kinds of things they wanted to talk about. They were wanting to try to get it all right. And so what Jesus said to them was, look, if you will love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, everything else is going to fall into place. These two commandments, do these. Everything else will fall into place if you love the Lord your God and you love your neighbor as yourself. This is the great commandment. To say that that's the foundation. I don't care how smart you get how much education you have, how wealthy you become, how much influence you have, never forget. Let love be your guiding principle. Let love be your foundation.
you know, I was so very blessed with a, a, a wonderful mom. I was raised in a, in a good Christian home, my mom and dad. My mother, though, was the, the daughter of a Methodist minister in Kentucky. She, though, dropped out of school when she was 16 and married my dad. My dad was 19. They moved down to Houston, Texas. And their dad became uh, an electrician, worked at Crown Refinery. My mom went to work for IBM, this new company. IBM, and she worked in the key punch department. Now, for all of you younger people, you need to ask your grandparents what a key punch department is. She went to work in the key punch department, and mom did really well. She did so well that she was made supervisor of the department. But they came to my mom and said, Gene, do you have your, your degree? Everybody at IBM has their degree. And she said, yes, I'm working on it. Well, they meant a college degree. Mom was working on her GED. She was being very truthful. That's what she thought they meant. She was working on it. She took over the department. She earned her GED, went to them and said, I got it. They about fell over. But she was doing such a good job, they said, we're going to let you keep the promotion. So mom worked in management there at IBM. She did very well. And then I was born. I was the firstborn. That was 10 years later. And then my brother was born two years later. And she was a stay-at-home mom for a number of years till we went to school. And once we headed on off after a few years, then she went back to work. She went to work for Control Data. They were competitors with IBM. She went into management, and she soon became the highest-ranking woman in control data. I remember when we took a vacation to Kentucky. I was in the sixth grade, and Mom knew zero math. And she's running all these computer departments. And she said, Bob, could you teach me fractions? She said, I feel like I need to know something. And so I'm going, well, this is a numerator. This is a denominator. Here's how you do them. You know, mom didn't understand math and those things. She understood people. She did extremely well. So well that ultimately she quit, started her own business for a temporary placement business. She did extremely well with her own business until she retired. But I loved visiting with my mom. I loved talking. As a kid growing up, we always talked. And we could talk about anything. And I remember when I'd gone off to seminary, you know, I... I could hardly wait to go to seminary. I, I was five years old when I decided I was going to be a Methodist minister. All that I've ever talked about my entire life. And I got to my first undergraduate degree in three years because I wanted to get to seminary. Because there's so many things I wanted to study and learn. And I got to seminary and I could learn all about church history. And I could learn all about theology. And, and I took systematic theology. And let me tell you, when you try to put together a systematic theology, a rational, logical theology of all you believe and the nature of God, that's tough. It doesn't all fit together. And I remember struggling in systematic theology. What do you believe? And I came home and I was talking to my mom. And I said, you know, mom, I'm getting to study Karl Barth, Paul Tillich, Friedrich Schleiermacher. And we're looking all about you know, eschatology, I'm trying to figure this out and I'm reading apocalyptic literature and it's going to inform my ecclesiology and what we're working on and I just don't know what to believe. Mom had no idea what I was talking about. But she listened to me talk as I'm sharing all this and I don't know what I think I ought to believe. And mom said, Mom, I think I taught you it's 
Pretty simple. I think I always told you, Jesus said, love one another. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Mom. That's 40 years ago. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Well, you know, Bob, I'm kind of simple. I just, I thought it was, Jesus said, love one another. I looked at my mom's life. That's what she did. Mom loved all people and treated them with respect. It didn't matter the color of their skin. It didn't matter if they were rich or poor, whether they were the owners of the company or they were workers. It didn't matter if, if they were young or old or gay or straight. Mom treated everybody with respect. She loved everybody. I really don't think it's all that complicated, Bob. I think Jesus told us to love one another. You know, when I came to St. Luke's, one of the blessings I got to be a part of is Wednesday Night Alive. You know, we've been doing Wednesday Night Alive now for more than 25 years. I've not missed a semester teaching in all these years. And you know that when you teach, you learn so much. And that's the part, it's made me study and work and read and learn and, and I've learned so much over these last 25 years preparing for Wednesday Night Alive. And one of the resources I really got into was a resource by Will Durant. Will Durant wrote an 11-volume series called uh, The Story of Civilization. I don't know if you've ever seen them or read them, but they are great. Will Durant started writing them back in, and, and published the first volume in 1935. Then it was our Oriental heritage. He looked at Egypt and India and the Far East and all that had happened to affect us. And then he moved on to Greece from about 3500 B.C. all the way up to the time of Christ. And volume three was Caesar and Christ. And he began moving right on through all of history up to the 1800s. And his last volume was all about Napoleon. And that's where he ended. And his last volume was written in 1975. 40-year work, 11 volumes, 14,777 pages. I have not read all the pages. I'll read different parts. But let me tell you, he did such a great job. And obviously this guy is incredibly brilliant. And after he had finished these 11-volume series of the story of civilization, he was being interviewed. And they asked him, after all your studies, do you feel like that history teaches us any lesson?" And Will Durant said, absolutely. I can answer that in three words. The lessons that the story of civilization teaches us is love one another. My mom was right. It's what Jesus taught us. Let love be your guiding principle. And then open your mind to think, to learn, to grow. To let God lead you. For only then will God give you great visions and new dreams. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
Amen.